I'm so glad that somebody's out there yelling right now. <laughs> like, it was inopportune fucking time. Did we get that on recording? Like, that was like... <laughs> so I don't know like, if oh, it yeah. picked it up. It'll, it'll, it'll uh, show in post, I guess. That was pretty funny. Great timing, like, by the way. I was like, what, "What is wrong? What is going on at your house? Is someone getting <sighs> murdered in your backyard?" I mean, I don't know, but let's let that segue into death. Yeah. <laughs> if that's a, it's the worst segue ever. Yeah, well, let's not use that as a segue then. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Uh, oh, we've already recorded. Incident. We've already recorded the intro and the outro, haven't we? Yeah, we don't need to do an intro and outro. Well, let's just do it. All right, welcome to the Infancial Podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Jess. Jess. And we're here to talk about dying. So <laughs> strap in and be, be ready to be miserable because this episode's about death and it's going to be depressing. Probably not, actually. We got some things to say about it. Um, Never forget, there is life after death and taxes. <laughs> the Reliant K references keep flowing in. Always. Did you see that Goatee Records put out on, uh, I can't remember what it was, uh, you, you only picked three and it was Reliant K albums? Yeah. This is not an easy topic to start. So. This is not an easy topic to start. So uh, we, like everyone else, have, have, know someone who has died. <laughs> I know a few people who have died. And even more, I know more people that probably will die at some point in the future. That, that's true. Uh, in fact, you might even say that death is inevitable. That is very true. Uh, but it's one of those things that like people just don't like to talk about or acknowledge. No. Uh, it's like the elephant in the room of life. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's also like in the scientific community, such a uh, weird topic where you'll have people saying we should fight death and other people, we should accept death. Like the idea of living forever is something we should try to achieve. Right. But there's politics and economics around reasons why that's unreason. It's unrealistic and unreasonable to expect people to live forever because if reproduction rates continue and death rates drop, then there's going to be a population problem at one point or another. Now, whether or not the planet is overpopulated at the moment seems to be a point of contention among different species of people. But uh, at some point, yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you stop, if you, if you stop people from dying or if you prolong life to a certain extent, especially if to the point they're to the point where they can't sustain themselves or, um, take care of themselves or contribute to the economy or contribute to society, then at some point you are just um, burdening the system more or less. Yeah. And well, there are a few things like a only rich people could do this because it costs yeah. money to live. Uh, there is a reason why when you look at U S presidents tend to live to at least their eighties. Um, yeah. There's no reason start being president until they're 80. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh, our, our our choices recently have been very much old people uh, yeah 
but we there's a there, people are like why do presidents live so long it's because they're freaking wealthy um, yeah you we've only had like a few non-wealthy presidents ever uh well that's the thing rich people no matter if they're president or the ceo of a business or no matter what it is an actor like um they can afford to live longer because they can afford the right health care that they need to live longer. Yeah. Whereas average people, what, if you live to 70, you're lucky more or less. Yeah, Those of you that don't like, know, she has a, a cat next to her and the cat is like looking at the camera, uh, menacingly a little bit judgy, honestly. And I don't like cats. So, but, uh, going to put it on the cat cam. That no, can <laughs> <see>. <laughs> we should, you know what we do? Take a screenshot. Oh shit. Never mind. I was going to say you could take a screenshot and we'll use that on Instagram as like our, our promotional photo for this, for this episode yeah, of the podcast, <laughs> completely unrelated, but it's probably less morbid than what we're going to use anyway, which I don't know what we're going to use yet, but yeah, rich people can Casper? afford <laughs> What's that Casper Casper is a great idea. Rich people can afford to prolong life. Um, yes. Most average people can't, especially, well, I was going to say not in this country, but also in pretty much every other country because the healthcare systems aren't meant to sustain life into eighties, nineties, hundreds. At some point people just give up and they're like, well, you've lived a long life. I think it's time for you to go. So, And we have this idea of we can prolong life forever. First of all, that is a question whether or not we can prolong life infinitely like there's a lot of different theories of how of why people die why people age um for a long time people were like it's telomeres it's telomeres well apparently it's partially telomeres but not entirely just telomeres eventually the world is going to come to an end eventually uh the universe will experience its own heat death which is the prevailing theory of what will happen we'll just spread out so far in like a trillion years that all matter will break up and entropy will reign um and everything will be dead nothing could exist anymore as atoms atoms will break apart and then something new something new will come along after that and there'll probably be a new version of life governments and organizations people religions all have a certain threshold for what they consider to be in any given situation, an acceptable amount of loss of life, whether it's militarily, whether it's a civilian population under a pandemic, whether it's um, a disease or um, a health situation like cancer that, you know, there's a certain amount of effort they'll put into resolving. And then at some point they'll just accept the fact that certain people are going to die because of the, margin of error which is the weird thing about it is like there's you can't have a hundred percent success rate on anything um yeah and then and, and there's there's economics around that right especially with like the insurance industry life insurance health insurance um well it's not economics that's just basic science you can't have a hundred percent success rate on anything. right but it has, an, it has an economic impact because the older you oh, get okay. the more you pay into health insurance the more you pay into life insurance so there's economic there's economic impacts especially when you look at things like death tax and inheritance and all that kind of stuff because if a millionaire dies and i mean the conflict that arises when 
when families have a rich family member that <laughs> that passes away and the, <laughs> the arguing over assets and and money and all that kind of stuff like there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into that that we don't we just tend to pretend like doesn't exist like we say oh okay this person died how sad but then all the other shit that comes along with that it's weird because i have never actually experienced that in real life i've seen it in movies all the time yeah. it's a great movie plot uh i just recently like a few months ago before we went in lockdown <laughs> saw knives out which is kind of has a big moment about them having uh, having this will being read of this famous wealthy author mm-hmm. and just how the chaos that ensues. It's a comedy. So it, it took it a comedic route, but yeah, you do hear about this a lot of times family members suing family members. Yeah. Yeah. Over yeah. Getting exactly. rights to things. And so my family had a situation like that um, without getting too detailed or too personal a member of my family, let's say my dad's father <laughs> was, <laughs> was pretty well off. And uh, from my understanding, of course, all the details have been kind of kept from me because I've been an outsider living in a different location and everything. But from my understanding, um, a majority of the inheritance went to a certain group of, group of family members, let's say, not my father or my mother or anybody (laughs) and none of it trickled down to me but it certainly trickled down to other um, relatives of mine that are much better off because of it they got college paid for um so there's an inequity in uh the way things are divvied up after someone dies um that's sort of a materialist sort of um perspective on death and then it's and then I have like the opposite when someone in my family died. We'll say my mother's mother. Okay. <laughs> uh, when she died, it was everybody like, uh, "What do you want?" And we just kind of divvied up the inheritance because she didn't really have a will or anything that I know of. So we just divvied everything up evenly and just asked, so "Like, do you want this? Do you want this? What is it that people want?" And all the money just got divvied up evenly for us. Uh, that's, the the true, that's a true test of uh, the stability of a family relationship is how much infighting is there when, when the rich person dies, right? Because <laughs> Well, my grandmother wasn't that rich. I'm just well, going to be honest. She had, she yeah. had some, well, some, some accumulation, but it, it wasn't enough to really be like fighting over, I would say. Maybe there's a correlation there. The more, the higher the stakes, the more conflict will arise. Yeah. There's yeah. a, a correlation or a causation there. I would assume that when the stakes are higher, people are willing to be more aggressive in their attempts to yeah. um, benefit as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a girlfriend, I won't say her name, um, worked in a... What would we call her? Huh? <laughs> Just give her a fake name. Uh, I don't know. Girlfriend number 12 i guess um, adam is great <laughs> at coming up with names that she can tell more better yeah more better you could I'm, think of like eve no. <laughs> or sally no. or sue this wasn't the eve type anyway she was working in a nursing home and she would say that like family members would come in um to visit their el- their elderly relatives in order to um solidify their inheritance 
Like the only reason they would visit is to confirm that like, okay, when you die, I'm going to get X, Y, or Z. Right. And yeah. visit was for that purpose. Not to say, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Do you want to go out for a walk? Do you need to go to the park? Do you need to go to the doctor? Is there anything you, you know, that you want to know? I'm visiting to make sure that when you die, my inheritance is secured. That's pretty much like sign this paperwork, sign this will, sign whatever it is. And that's pretty much the entire purpose of the visit, which is fucking disgusting. Um, I think that's the reality of, of the way people treat people in that situation. Yep. It's kind of uh, depressing. I we promise this wasn't going to be a depressing kind of podcast. Yeah. We could continue on in a whole topic about wealth and money and, what is the root of all evil, which of course is uh, Red Sox fans. Now that's a joke. <laughs> Some cultures seem to look at death in a positive light. Like they celebrate it. Like they celebrate the uh, successful completion of a life. They celebrate the moving on. They celebrate the crossing over in some religions and yeah. some cultures. Um, we seem to, well, I think humans in general seem to have like a, a basic fear of it. Maybe the celebration is a, uh, overcompensation of the fear. You know what I mean? Well, I think there, I don't know if it's necessarily overcompensation of the fear. It could just be a different way of looking at it. Uh, it's, it is true. When you see like a 12 year old die, there's not really a celebration going on. Yeah. You don't celebrate a 12 year old's death. Right. But when you see like a 90 year old or a hundred year old person die, the funeral looks totally different yeah i've been to funerals of kids or uh call it or like high school and middle school kids and i've been to funerals of 90 plus year olds and it's amazingly different where one is just really sad obvious yeah. for obvious reasons and the yeah. other is like a celebration of their life or we talk about celebration of life and i've seen like a 90 i remember going to a funeral of a 99 year old and oh my goodness was it such an upbeat positive celebration of of their life. Yeah. Um, and I think almost, that's a big difference. It's almost like you. Yeah. If it's a, if it's somebody who's younger, it's like, you never even got a chance to really get started. If it's somebody who's older, it's like, wow, congratulations. You yeah. uh, did well. Did yeah, well once you a hit long the, way. Yeah. Once you hit the eighties, it's like you, you feel more, you're, I mean, it's not like people aren't sad, but it's a lot easier than someone who's in their twenties or thirties. And then when they're in their fifties, you're like, Oh, well, you got to live a life, but that wasn't that long of a life. You, Oh, do we celebrate or do we, do we, do we, do we get sad? Because we have this idea of how long you're supposed to live. Yeah. And I think we have like a, like a, um, there's a stigma that we're supposed to be mournful at a funeral, regardless of who it is or how long they lived like there's there's like uh when you're when you're expecting someone older to pass away and then they finally do um you're still expected to be sort of in this mournful state even though like you're mentally prepared for it you know what i mean yeah uh, there's a social stigma around it i think um but i don't think other cultures some other cultures have that uh, as much. Um, yeah, there's... It's a Western thing. Yeah, uh, this idea like, if you're not crying at the funeral, something's wrong with you. 
Yeah. That's the common thing I see. And what's strange about that is a lot of people don't cry at funerals. Is uh, I mean, a lot of people do, but there is a decent amount of people who won't cry at a funeral because A, it hasn't hit them yet. Yeah. B, they're not criers. Yeah. C, uh, they're just too busy to cry. Or D, something we don't take into account, they're happy the person is dead. For one of two reasons. <laughs> one reason number one, like uh, I've had people in my in my family who died after long bouts with cancer, mm. and you're just kind of happy that it's over. Yeah, because it was painful to watch, but not as painful to watch as it was for them to experience. Yeah, and the other reason why you might be happy that they're dead is because they were terrible to you. Yeah, like, they were abusive. Like just when you when kids are in abusive situations like their father is sexually or physically abusing them and then that father dies yeah that is released for the kid the kid is now safer yeah it's like oh i don't have to worry about this person anymore um i don't have to look at this person i don't have to be around this person i don't have to think that this person is somewhere out there yeah totally um that's why i think there's a relief um when family members go to um prisons to watch um you know the person who raped and killed their daughter or whatever get um, euthanized or whatever. There's a, there's a, they're there because they want to witness it and have that sense of relief. Like, okay, this person isn't around anymore. Like justice has been served. Like, yeah. um, Good. And that's part of the reason why I'm not exactly opposed to the death penalty. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about the death penalty. Like should the state have the, authority to take someone's life and then in that situation where um something so egregious has been done and somebody's been victimized uh or even killed because of another person um i guess i have like a conservative mindset like where i'm like yeah hang them from the <laughs> hang, hang them on the street corner let everyone see like um put them in jackals like fuck it like, if justice were blind and it was served evenly across the board, I would be more on board with the death penalty. But let's face it, the people who get the death penalty are uh, sometimes poor and minority yeah. people. And they're more likely to get the death penalty than rich white people who do the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah, that's um, totally true. Yeah, and also men system. are more likely than women to get the death penalty, I believe. Yeah. Our justice system is not, a, not an equal opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then how many people get the death penalty who were innocent and actually proven to be innocent by DNA test or proven as best as you can prove it. And they still went with, through the execution. Yeah. And you find out after the fact that that happened. Um, oh, sometimes before. Oh, and they still go through with it. I've never heard of that sometimes case, but okay. Uh, there was, if we can provide a citation for that, that'd be interesting. Oh man, I wish I could provide the citation on this where they're like, the the prosecution was like, well, we're still going to prosecute him even though we have proven that he was not the person who did it. Right. That's just completely messed up. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was a death penalty case. I could be wrong. So you might want to just cut all that out because I can't prove it. And I don't know how to even search okay. for that necessarily. Anyway. All right. So death penalty, uh, dead people dying. Uh, so funerals. Yep. Funerals. Um, do you ever feel sorry for the people that work in the funeral home? <laughs> like, I, sometimes, like, I feel like that, that, that at some point they're like numb to it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I, I have had experience working both in hospitals and um, having been at funerals in a, uh, as a part of my job. Right. Um, me too. Me too. Yes, that's yeah. true. You have too. Uh, neither of us are saying how we've done it. Right, right, right. I don't know if we're keeping that secret still. I don't know if we've talked about this already. I don't want to disclose my, my occupation. So. Yes, same here. We have right. reasons. Uh, yeah. Uh, we are not spies. But, no. Uh, <laughs> but we, are doing, we are doing this podcast at arm's length so that we can uh, sort of protect ourselves in case yes. we say anything that could be, um, uh, let's say, detrimental to our career. No. We, we are spies. I might say something that's touching my career. I have some thoughts on some things. So, anyway. He has thoughts on things, people. Thoughts on things. You don't understand the magnitude of the thoughts on the things. That he's thought. Yeah. On things. He has thoughts on things that he's thought. On things that he's thought. It's, yeah, so we, we both have some experience with the death industry. Yeah, so we've both uh, been there. Um, and from what I've noticed from my experience and you could probably talk about yours is like, it just becomes a job. It's just so routine. Uh, One of my favorite things on one of my favorite TV shows is scrubs. I love scrubs. Uh, It's a, it's a comedy set in the hospital. If you don't know what it is, uh, if you like kind of uh, slapstick comedy with the backdrop of, very serious things. It's the perfect comedy for you. But they one of the scenes they talk about the main character is played by Zach Braff says it death is like a coworker and is always there. And so you see the doctors and nurses walking through the hospital through the the uh floor and then you see death like cloaked and uh walking as well and they're like, hey you uh and it's just so true that like death is like a coworker. It's just what you do. It's just common. You mm-hmm. see it and you get used to it. So I don't know if it's necessarily numb or if it's just, this is what you do. This is what you got into. So you kind of just get used to it. Yeah. But, um, from my experience doing what I, what I do, um, because there's a, almost like a ritual involved with, without getting too specific. There's almost like a ritual involved with um, wherever I do that. And um <laughs> Not a religious ritual, just like uh a... no, I'm just like whenever I do that thing. All, all funerals have rituals. There's, there's a, okay, there's well, a... my portion of the ritual is specific and has a specific purpose. Okay, let's just go. Just go with me on this, anyway. <laughs> but uh, that could be you could be anywhere from the person who conducts the sermon to the person who uh, digs the grave, <laughs> or a different role altogether. Yeah, but, I mean, like. Um, can I continue, please? Yes, sorry. Thank I'll stop bothering you. So anyway, because it's a ritual, um, it becomes routine. And at some point, it becomes almost like an act. Like your somberness towards the family, um, you have to make it feel genuine, even though you're disconnected because you don't know the person You know, personally. You don't know... Um, the family, you're just there in a role. So you have to basically play it up a little bit yeah. in order to 
meet the requirements of the job. And I think preachers probably go through that as well. And probably funeral directors and everyone else, they probably go through that as well. Yeah. If you, if you watch close enough, you'll see in the background, if you're, if you're, if you catch like preachers or funeral directors, um, talking to each other because a lot of times they do know each other because they work together, oh, yeah. especially in small towns and communities yeah. and they'll be in the back or off to the corner laughing and talking about Football random things whatever. Yeah. yeah, because they're just like coworkers who rarely see each other. Yeah. You know, they see each other once every month or once every few months and they're just like, Hey, how are you doing? And chit chatting, getting used to each- getting called up again. Whereas everyone else is grieving. So everyone else is like, this is the ending. This is a world changing event. But for the workers, it's, you got to do this job and then you got to get back to either your family or to do this job again. Right. Cause there's paperwork to process and there's, there's logistics that have to be done. There's vehicles that have to be moved. There's yeah. All kinds of stuff. Um, Yeah. I know, I know almost every funeral director in the Nashville area because of what I was doing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just like that. Like you know him by first name and you know, whenever you see him, how you doing? And then when it's game time, it's game time. So you go out yep. there and you just kind of, you, you do your role and then yep. you clock out. You, you so. don't, you, you, the smile goes off your face. You're very somber. You yep. hit your points, whatever your points are in the, in your job. You, you can see it. If you've been to more than one funeral, you'll know, especially at least in the U S at least in the U S South, which is, where we're both more knowledgeable of our um, funerals, I guess. Um, You'll see that there is a pattern to how everything's done um, and everything's done the exact same way. Uh, The only difference is whether or not the family's private viewing of the body is before the service or after the service. Right. Uh, Right. And then of course there's, you know, ceremonies are, custom tailored to fit the family preferences or whatever. But at the end of the day, your role is still an act. Our friend that we've talked about before on the podcast, um, he had ALS. He got diagnosed like a year and a half, almost, almost two years ago at this point. But, um, you know, it was a progressive disease that became progressively worse and he was hospitalized and, um, uh, he was living in a, in a home and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, but when he finally um, passed, first of all, um, he was extremely courageous because um, towards the end, he had the option of accepting a feeding tube because he couldn't swallow. He couldn't do anything that, um, you know, that doctors and hospitals would do to prolong your life because that's what their job is, right? Their job is to prolong life as, as long as possible. So he rejected that because he didn't want to go through the suffering, which who can blame him? But he like, and doing that, he knew cognitively that he was basically shortening his time. Um, So that's absolute bravery in the face of death. Like there's no better definition of that than, than doing that. Um, But when he passed, people in his family are extremely conservative to the point where Donnie wasn't a religious person. All of our experience with Donnie, like me and me and Jess have known Donnie better and for longer than pretty much anyone else on the planet. And he wasn't religious. He was, I would describe him as agnostic, 
bordering on, on atheist. There have been times in high school where he would outright say I'm an atheist. Then there are other times when he would say I'm kind of agnostic. So I would describe him best as maybe agnostic. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But his family being more Southern conservative Christian brought in the head minister of the local Baptist church um, near the funeral home. And he came in, tell me if I'm wrong, but he basically gave a sermon about how Jesus is the only way to heaven um, at the funeral for someone who is effectively atheist, right? Um, Which is extremely offensive. And um, it just goes to show how disconnected from reality uh, people can be even at your own funeral. Yeah, it was, uh, now let's be honest, most funerals in the South are very preaching toward the people at the church to have you change. Um, They want you, they want, they want you to convert. They want you to be saved. They want to save your soul. So they, their, their goal is to convert the masses, which is always a lot of conservative Southern preachers and probably conservative preachers everywhere. Uh, Their goal is to convert and people are set at funerals and this is a perfect time to convert. Because they're vulnerable. Yeah. And uh, that's what you see a lot because I heard one person say one time, I don't preach about the dead person. I preach to living people because the dead person's already dead. It doesn't matter. Um, that's one way of doing it. That's a way, a common way to do it. And so what we saw at that funeral was exactly what we expected. Um, it was exactly what I expected to see. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make it good. Uh, it just is so common to see. It's why you, it's why you need to be careful. Um, especially if that's like really overwhelming to you because a lot of people don't want to be around don't go to church for many and many good reasons yeah and going to a funeral can be just the same as going to church because it's basically three songs in a sermon right right uh, the songs are generally uh sad songs i've never understood why they always sing like sad songs at funerals like really sad and depressing songs that makes everybody want to cry it's like do you need any reason to cry yeah maybe it's to like um to push forward some emotional reaction or some emotional effect so that people um i don't know maybe it's the illusion of of not the illusion maybe it's the encouragement of displaying emotion i don't know it's it's a very traditional thing i'm something that uh may come up is i'm not exactly uh i do like traditions i'm not exactly one to follow all traditions just because that's the way you do it. I like to change those up a little bit, especially when it comes to uh, major things like, you know, weddings and funerals. And I feel yeah, like they can the be... The once in a lifetime things that you only get once. Yeah. Unless weddings, you get fun- divorced and then remarried, then yeah. you get it five or six times. So. Weddings, funerals, baptisms, um, graduations from college. Yeah. The things you only do once. Um yeah. So if you uh, if you take if you if you hijack someone's funeral, and you basically strip the funeral of their entire personality, and you've yeah. made it about yourself instead of about um, that person, just kind of messed up. 
Yeah, and that's why uh, it's you, 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 you're going to get what you get when you get certain people to to do your, do a funeral, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a show. I mean, funerals are shows. It's yeah. There's a there's a way you do a funeral. There's there are things you do at a funeral and expectations. Um, you might even call it a ritual. Yes. You might just call it a ritual. Um, and and funerals are for the living. They're not for the dead. I mean, that is true. We're yeah. not saying that funerals should be exactly for the dead. No, they're for the living. Uh, it's just they should not be offensive at all. Uh, there are things I've seen preached at funerals that I'm like, that is not what you should talk about. Lazarus is a common thing to talk about at funerals, and I've always found that yeah. very strange. So another, I guess we'll do another story. My brother committed suicide. Uh, not committed suicide. He successfully suicided. I'm not sure what the politically correct term is. They keep changing the terms. Died um, by suicide is what I hear a lot. Yeah. So let's just say he did that. And that was like, what, four years ago, I believe, roughly. And then, of course, you go through all the emotions and all the what ifs and everything else, the the questions that you, whenever it's my close to you, has it happened? Um, it's actually happened a few more times with people I've known um, or been relatively close to uh, in the past couple of years since then. Um, but that was like the worst. That was probably the, the one thing in my life that happened that um, basically fundamentally changed who I, who I was and, and my entire um, worldview and outlook on life and everything. Um, that single event had probably a more profound impact on me than the accumulation of every other significant event that's ever happened to me in my life. Um, so yeah, it was a extremely painful process to go through. Um, but now with a more refined outlook and a, or a, a better, uh, more clear hindsight, I don't know if it's going to sound coarse, but like I almost look at it like, if somebody is driven to that point, they must be experiencing an immense amount of suffering. And it may not be medical suffering. It may just be life circumstances that are completely out of control. And so for, for him to want to relieve that suffering, I can empathize with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm just, happy that he's not suffering like it sucks that he's not here and it sucks that it happened and i have all kinds of regrets about questions i could have asked and everything else to um prevent it but um if he's not suffering whatever he was suffering from which we don't know really honestly we don't have a whole lot of insight into the situation but yeah it's it's kind of a two-sided coin like one in one way i'm glad he's not suffering but on the other hand like could I have prevented it? And if I had prevented it, would he still be suffering or would he have gotten over whatever it was he was going through or, you know, all kinds of questions that, um, that you ask in a situation. So I guess really the point of that whole, that, yeah, the whole point of all that was to basically just say like, should, um, is suicide a viable option for people who are at the end of the rope? Like in Futurama, the first episode, when Bender goes in the suicide booth and puts the coin, like, is it, is it that, or like Dr. Gavorkian or whatever, is it, is it that, is it, should it be an option? Like, 
or should people just be made to live with their suffering? So that does bring up a lot of questions, good questions. Like one with Dr. Kevorkian, he was doing um, terminally ill patients. At least right. that's what he was doing. There is some questions as to exactly how, uh, how great he was sticking to his own ethics, but that was his goal. And he, he, he did create uh, a lot of right to die uh, policies that are existing now because he made them famous. Right. Um, and important um, ones. Uh, but that it does break up a question like the, will you, can you get better? And sometimes I feel like we want people to live from the religious point of view that I've seen is like, people say like miracles can happen. You can be healed, but most people aren't like, I've seen a lot of people who have like severe cancer or severe schizophrenia or stage four cancer, severe schizophrenia, pancreatic cancer, whatever, you know, yeah. uh, uh, things like that. ALS. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to get better? Are you going to get healed? It is technically possible because it has happened. People with pancreatic cancer have miraculously Recovered. gone into remission. Yeah. People with ALS, it has happened where they go into full recovery and get all their functioning back. Yeah. It's super rare for the ALS. I don't know how rare it is for pancreatic cancer but it's like really unbelievably rare for the ALS mm -hmm. and some people have with severe cases of schizophrenia have gotten better it's happened mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen often uh, and so it gets into this idea of like we have this idea that A it could get better therefore we should always hold out and wait to the last possible second so that it may get better which doesn't this which most time means that it's just gonna you're prolonging suffering right 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 we, and we also believe that any life is better like the worst of life you could live is better than not being alive which how do we know that's true <laughs> right we don't uh, so i don't have any answers for whether or not suicide should be a viable option i just don't think it's clear cut as I, I think that it's more I think that it's um in in medical situations like what Donnie was going through or for people with cancer or any other terminally ill um situation I think I guess I'm kind of on on the side that um if they're gonna be if they're gonna suffer more from living than they are from the process of dying then that's their right to decide for themselves that that, that that's what they want to go through um that's a decision that, that only like i'm an individualist right so i believe in personal freedom so you have the freedom to decide for yourself the outcome of your existence you know what i mean yeah, um but i also think that um in other situations where um it's outright suicide where financial situations or marriage or whatever life circumstances have um, brought someone to that point. Um, like my brother's situation. Um, I think that that is far too widely accepted as the norm, especially within the military, but even outside of that, um, it's just sort of a thing that happens that people are just kind of numb to at this point, you know, um, people talk about gun violence being, being a norm and, um, 
sort of widely accepted, but suicide is far more widely accepted than gun violence. Um, suicide just flies under the radar because it doesn't affect anybody else um, aside from immediate family. You know what I mean? So um, if there's any societal problem that needs to be addressed, it's that. And yeah, they have the hotline. You know, they have the, you know, Logic made a song about the 1-800-whatever-it-is hotline. Um, so people do talk about it occasionally. But all in all, it's kind of one of those like I said before, elephant in the room, elephants in the room that kind of um, it's there and nobody wants to talk about, <laughs> nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to do anything to fix it. Nobody wants to unfuck society to make life more livable for more people. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe one, maybe one of the outcomes that'll come out of this whole COVID thing, maybe a positive thing will come is that people will be more compassionate towards one another and, um, I think in the short term, suicide rates will probably escalate um, as a result of COVID. But I think in the long run, if people are come out of this more compassionate, um, they may have a more positive effect. There's a lot to unpack there. Sorry. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Where to go with all this? Definitely. Like short term, we are going to have some spikes in suicide, especially uh, with healthcare workers. Um, yeah. I think that's, we're not really thinking about them as much of their, like their needs, uh, but they are, they yeah, are going through it. They're being put to the ringer right now. Yeah. They're seeing, they're a getting very little sleep and B they're seeing people die and there's yeah. nothing they can do about it. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be a form of PTSD to, to, to come out of that the same way that whenever um, people in combat, um, see a lot of death and destruction around them. Um, there's PTSD. They yeah. used to call it shell shock that arises from that. Yeah. And this, this is, this is definitely going to happen. And it's, uh, and for those who are just depressed and either don't realize it or haven't talked about it and then they're isolated, we don't know what's going to happen when they're like isolated still. Like we don't hear from people. I assume all of us have a few friends that we've heard nothing about. We don't know if they're still alive or not. Yeah. Because there there are forms of communication with them are uh, in person or uh, in certain online ventures and they're just not there anymore. And we don't know why. Uh, And not all of them are essential workers. Uh, Yeah. Like we're not hearing much from our essential workers probably as we used to. Uh, no, people who have, who have lost their jobs or who are working from home and are just stuck, they're, they're going through it right now. They're going through it. And they're um, like loneliness is, is, a, is, is a killer. And that's going to be, and I think this is going to be shown a lot more and it's not going to put like a positive spin on uh, death. It's, I don't know if any of this is going to put a positive spin on death. Let's talk about the positive side of death. Let's let's brighten yes. the mood a little bit, shall we? Let's talk about why why death is good. Yeah. <laughs> <Da-da-da, da-da-da. laughs> the segue is terrible. We'll get to the point. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's try it again. Okay. okay. I got a second segue. Adam, 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 and Jess, yeah. Jess, Jess. Present, present, present. A thesis, a thesis, a thesis. On why, on why, on why. Death, 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 death. It's good. Good. Okay. 
That was terrible. <laughs> I don't I don't have a good one. Uh, That'll work. <laughs> good segue. But yeah. So there are positive aspects of death. Tell yeah. us all of them, Adam. <laughs> well, if you're a religious person, then you have the hope of uh moving into um another another life. Um it's that's about it. That's all I got. I mean yeah what do you got uh so things that are death positive um the positive spins on death is a i think one yes if you're a religious person there is the beyond begins uh b being stuck in life after a while will become miserable no matter what like you will get old and frail we Mm. don't have like bodies that allow us to live forever uh, which is one of the things we have to overcome that we just haven't yet and it will take a long time for us to overcome uh entropy basically um Mm. i know i know i'm not using entropy in the correct setting right there uh because Mm. this is not a closed system uh the human body is not a closed system but it's still i'm going to use it because i like the word entropy okay uh but yeah so we don't uh we cannot live forever we're going to get things are going to get harder and so it's good to have uh to not have to be in that situation and also one of my favorite things i've seen is doctor who i love the tv show doctor who and in one season of it, there was a character who was uh, healed in such a way that she would always be healed. Her body would always heal. And so she was basically given the gift of living forever. And what happened was she started forgetting things over time and she had to keep journals so that she could remember her kids and her grandkids and things that happened and she couldn't remember anything because literally everything happened in front of her. Her mind could not hold it anymore. Yeah. And we've never reached the full potential of how much a mind can store. But if you lived for thousands of years, you would, you'd eventually run out. And so that's why dying is good is because you don't want to go into that space of where your mind is gone. Your physical body's there, but your mind's not made for eternity. Just try, like, basically, think about forever right now. How long is forever? I mean, for for most people, it's probably an inconceivable amount of time. Like, forever is long. (laughs) There's a song, like, forever is a long time or something like that. Yeah. Um, And... And so, yeah, we can't think of it. So just imagine if we had to live through it in this, in this body, in our current state. Yeah. Uh, and also, as long as something lasts forever, it's going to be meaningless. Like what gives us meaning is the fact that we have only a certain amount of time to find that meaning in right. one way. Right. Uh, so that's kind of the, the approach that I think is the most, most healthy to take is that at some, you know, there's, there's a, a progress bar of life. Right. And it just kind of speeds up as you get older. It seems like the, <laughs> it loads faster. But um, if you look at that 
whatever time you have left as an opportunity to make it what you want it to be. And you can, it's almost like legacy building, like you're making sure that the name that you have um, sort of, you're, you're designing your own um, funeral more or less, right? Yeah. Um, you're designing your own legacy. You're building your own um, reputation and your own art, your own, your own uh, output to be remembered by future generations. Um, so with, with some people that legacy building is kids with some people it's art with some people it's any other, um, you know, it's their work. Um, it's their company. It's their, you know, Trump's name will be remembered for a lot long after he's dead because their Trump is plastered on every, in every corner of every city. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, just, uh, so if you take that approach to to you're building a legacy for yourself, I think there might be a little more enjoyment for the time that you have left than if you're just kind of floating through. Um, if you're floating through life without any sort of direction, especially if you're not driven yep. by yourself, um, then you really have a whole lot of purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it that reminds me of the story of uh, Alfred Nobel. Um, do you know his story? Hmm. Okay, so this is, uh, I don't know how much of this is factually accurate, so I have not checked this, but from what I hear, it's pretty accurate. So he uh, created dynamite. So the story of Alfred Nobel goes like this. He created a, a, a bunch of military explosives, uh, kind of known for creating dynamite, which he may or may not have created. Uh, just something I'm seeing says he may not have created actual dynamite, but he created a lot of things that was used to kill people. Mm-hmm. And apparently a, mag, uh, a newspaper accidentally published his obituary, thought he was dead and they called him the merchant of death. Wow. And, and went on to say like how he made his life and his legacy from killing people. Right. And so he did not like that. So what he went on to do was create the Nobel Prize to talk about all the good things that have happened. Okay. Uh, and he wanted to honor people, and his name is now known not for destruction, but for uh, for doing good in the world, in science and literature and peace and all these different prizes that get awarded every year. Right. So there you go. You just proved my point with that story. You you told the story of Alfred Nobel. You proved the point that I was trying to get at. That you're that you're building your own. You're building your own yep. obituary. You're building your own funeral. And uh, I get so irritated when I read people's obituary and there's literally nothing about the person in the obituary, like, um, you know, person here passed away on April fourteenth, two thousand. 20 not how he passed away or or what led to his death um he survived by family members and that's the obituary like and the family members just are just names and especially whenever there's no picture or there's no video there's no personality to the obituary at all like i would write my own fucking obituary it would be two thousand pages long <laughs> and it would have every single thought I've ever had in my entire life in it because I feel like my, my life has meaning. Right. And so I feel like 
people who care about me should know who I am and should know like, even if there are thoughts that I don't want kept out in public right now, that I'm not going to put on an pencil podcast there. You know, I want people when I'm gone to know who I am and to say, okay, this is who he was. He wasn't just Adam, whatever my last name is, you know, whatever he and survived by whoever he was. He had, the, he had personality, he had influence, he had, um, he was educated. He had this and that, you know what I mean? Like these are things that people just completely omit from obituaries and already people's obituaries and there's jack shit about the person in there. I just get infuriated because I'm like, okay, I want to know more about this person and there's nothing available on them at all in the obituary. And especially if you even try and look online or if you go to like local, like if you go to like a local library of a hometown where somebody passed away, there's like, let's say hundred years ago or whatever, like in Pratt, um, excuse me, in a city in Kansas <laughs> where uh, my family is originally from, I go there, I can go to the local historic museum and I can find, um, documents about my family. I can find yearbooks. I can find all kinds of stuff because documents are maintained. So I can know who my family is. I can know about these people, but most people don't have that. Most people don't have this sort of um, documentation or what we're doing right now. Even this, this is part yeah. of our legacy. So um, even if we're not really showing our identity right now, people who know us know this exists and this will be something that they can look back on after we're gone and know how you felt about certain things you know what i mean so um fucking obituaries just piss me off because they're just so copy and paste yeah and i mean some of it is um the reason the reason why they are copy and paste is because of uh well because they're written by the family in the moment of grief and they're told hey we need this information yeah <laughs> And it's really hard. You don't have like uh, time to write a really good obituary. That's the reason why most newspapers obituaries on famous people are written years in advance. Um, yeah. I feel like obituaries, I feel like your legacy, you should be building a legacy. Every moment of, of your life should be, should be part of your story and it should be telling something. So that way, whenever you get to the end of your life, whether it's, at age 35 or at age 95 or age 125 after we get to that point because science will prove so not really, but you know, exaggeratingly, um, you'll have a story to tell. There'll be a story there for you. Um, and not just, well, he kind of just, you know, floated through life, you know, just kind of didn't really direct his, you know, wasn't in control of his own. Yeah. I would hate that. I would hate to be somebody who has absolutely no control over my own life and no say into my obituary and no say into how people remember me like fuck that um what's the purpose of life then? why am i here if that's if that's the result why am i here what is my meaning um let's kind of go back to our religious talk like um religion gives people meaning meaning because people refuse to give themselves meaning you know um, well, I don't think people are refusing to give themselves meaning. They find their meaning in religion. That's the meaning they give themselves. Well, yeah, but then, okay, you're known as Bob the Christian. What else? What else is there about you? 
Well, I mean, that's the thing about identity is our identity has to be used in things that people understand. We just can't make up words to say. Yeah, we need to do a um, an episode on identity because I have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, and we get into like Write I am down. Jess, I am blah 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 blah. So those are kind of my thoughts on death. Um, I think that it can be a positive thing, but I think the society takes it. Uh, to be mainly negative, partly because there's a fear of death and partly because we mismanage it. So, uh, so the final thoughts really on it is like, yeah, we're afraid of death, uh, but it's going to happen. Uh, even if you are able to do cryopreservation and they fix it and you come back in the future, hey, what a culture shock that will be that we didn't even get into, but you'll eventually die again. Uh, you can't yeah. stop death uh, yeah. one way or another because it's just the way it is. Everybody has to die. Um, as, yeah. they, as, as, they, as they say, uh, death and taxes are the only certainties. But what does that mean for us now? And I guess my final thoughts are, okay, so once you accept the fact that this is an inevitability, um, you can manipulate your life and you can um, script your life and forecast your life in a way that has the most meaning to you and provides you with the things that are, that are most important to you and gives you the ability to uh, write your own story and build your own legacy. Because really that's, I, I feel like that's the whole mission here. Um, while what else would we be doing with our time yeah. aside from working in a call center or yes. on an assembly line? So life, uh, life is, I hate the phrase life is short. Um, thanks John Rubin. Uh, well, the, I don't like it because I saw somebody say one time and I thought it was the best thing ever. Someone said life is short and they said false. It's the longest thing you'll ever experience. Well, there's some truth <laughs> to that. I was like, oh, well, that's true. But uh, life, you're given a time. You don't know what the time is, uh, but you're given a time and you can do with it and you can find what you want. You can find your meaning. Um, there are a lot of things that we can't do. I can't be president of the U.S. I know that. But I can find my own meaning in who I want to be. Yeah. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. I'm I Your dog that. wants to go out. <laughs> yes, my dog wants to go. All right, with that, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, thank you for listening. We're gonna phase. In, we're gonna phase into the outro right now. <laughs>